if you look at the grand scheme of the world, you're going to be okay. Like these things are all solvable. Like I really encourage clients to like add volunteer work into their routine just to kind of give you some perspective. Like I, I always feel like so much just release of like emotion after I finish any kind of volunteer work. Our ever-changing world calls upon the most courageous, resilient, and relentless of us to face its most extraordinary challenges. To help you embark on this journey, we present the Impactful Coaching Podcast, your oasis for inspiration and a beacon to spark the fires of greatness within you. I'm Joseph. I will be your ally in this journey to empower your potential. Join us each week as we dive deep into the heart of ambition, drive, and success to unravel compelling stories of daring leaders who dreamed, struggled, and achieved victory. Our journey begins now. How is everybody doing? This is Joseph. I am the host of the Impactful Coaching Podcast. I want to thank everybody for your time and your attention for today. Just a really, really, really quick bit of housekeeping. You might have noticed that my video quality is a little bit like what's going on. It's only because I'm still going through a transition and so I'm still ironing out the finer details. Thank you for your patience. I'm here today with Anna Morgenstern. Anna, you are a dating coach. Dating Rehab New York City is your bread and butter. And I before I mean before I jump into the conversation, first thing that I choose to do, don't have to do it, I choose to do it is how are you doing? How are you feeling today? I'm doing well. Um, Monday. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on this week. Fall is always my busiest time. And now that we're post summer, calls are coming in, people are more interested in getting into dating, cuffing seasons around the corner. So it's been busy. I was I was just about to ask you how what's the legitimacy of cuffing season? Because it, it turned out that I was uh, cuffed around that time myself and <laughs> and th- like it built up a little bit of like oh, i hate it whenever i adhere to social norms but then it turns out that it just the pattern had established itself well beyond my control so so that's a real thing cuffing season is a real thing mm-hmm. oh yeah especially in colder climates um when the temperatures go down it's kind of nice to have someone to cuddle up with watch a movie you know as new yorkers we are really busy in the summer that's like when everyone's traveling doing their own thing taking time for themselves so dating kind of becomes um, a backseat thing. So once Labor Day is over, people are back in the city. I've even noticed today, just um, I went to Soho House to work for a couple hours. It was packed in there. It hasn't been packed all summer. So I can feel the city feels just busier again. And yeah, people are getting ready to start dating and hopefully find a relationship that's past the spring and into next summer, but we'll see. Exactly. <laughs> Not just cuffing season. Well, as, so long as people are going for, I suppose, what they're aiming for, right? Because or, there's a lot to jump into, but not necessarily everybody is looking for even something that might last a year, last five years. I don't know. I'm not the expert today. You're the expert today. And I, so for the audience's sake, I've been in the B2B podcasting space for coming up on around 3.5 years. And I've had the opportunity to talk to, about a lot of different subjects, but dating is just like, this is the first for me to have this conversation and how it relates to coaching, especially. So I, I think the first thing that we want to do now is actually not that I'm keeping track, but it's probably like second or third thing as far as this episode has gone. But what is, um, how would you, you know, how do you describe your, your profession and what got you into it? I always talk to people about, you know, whatever you're really interested in, you're an expert. So for some people it could be football. That's all you read about. It's all you think about. It's all you watch. It, that's like a big part of your life. You're an expert in it. And my thing was always dating. Like I loved reading lots of different dating books and talking about it with friends. I took a lot of psychology classes in school. It's just something that was always really interesting to me. Like why did some people get married really young? Why did some people never get married at all? What made this guy fall in love with this girl? Like I just always want to know answers to those kind of questions. And 
that's just kind of what I became an expert in. And when I was living in San Francisco, it was a really different dating culture. It's one of the only dating cultures in the world, only city in the world where it has more college educated men than women. And so because of that, it feels like there's more men than women. Everywhere else in the world, pretty much, especially in New York, there are more college educated women than men. So that's why I always hear them saying there's not enough men. Well, it's because some women have to, you know, end up with an electrician or a construction worker and they don't necessarily want to do that. So that's why dating here feels tricky for a lot of people. Um, so when I moved here 11 years ago, I just was like so shocked and humbled by the dating culture. And I had so many friends that were just dating the most awful guys. I was like, no, this guy sucks. Like this guy is much better for you. And after several uh, marriages, just within my friends, I had a friend that encouraged me to think entrepreneurially. And I was like, well, maybe I'll try dating coaching. I don't know. And um, that was October 2017. So it's been a while. Um, I did mostly dating coaching, then I got into matchmaking, and then I realized I kind of like doing both. So a combination of dating coaching with matchmaking, because you can have all the best tools in the world to be the best dater. But if you're not getting the best matches, then you know you can't really put your new skills to use. But if you, on the other hand, if you're getting all these great dates, and you're not really looking at yourself of how to be the best you know, person in a relationship, then that's not really worthwhile either. So I felt like they kind of had to be married together. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, um, how do I say this, ante up uh, for the conversation. So I would like uh, to describe a little bit of my dating experience, but I'd also like to hear mm-hmm. about your personal dating experience too. So I'll go first just sure. to get it out of my system because <laughs> Lord knows I haven't talked about it um, too often, at least not publicly. So dating for me, if I had to go give it on a scale of one to 10, I would rate myself as terrible. I mm-hmm. I did have one girlfriend that lasted about three months and it I look back at it the same way I look back at those CDs that AOL online used to send people where you get 90 days of free internet. Like it was a great trial run. I got to experience what being a boyfriend was like, mm-hmm. but uh, due to, I don't know, lack of resources, we didn't subscribe to it long-term. Now I did in just, you know, for everyone who's clear, I did intend to get the relationship going, but things didn't work out. And, and that was when I was 23, I'm 33 now. And then I met my current girlfriend who we've been with, I've been together with her over five years. Uh, when I was around 28, I met her on set through background acting for film and television. And I've always been a big uh, proponent of like the organic side versus the intentional side call back to uh, one of the first episodes with Catherine Nickel about the, the difference between the two equal value, but some prefer one or the others. And, and I was just drawn to her and it wasn't so much like a personality thing, which is a, a pattern shift for me. Usually I'm like, I don't act on an attraction until there's enough of a personality there that I can say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to ask this person out. But in her case, it actually was very much like a physical start. And then the personality revealed her, we revealed our personalities to each other over time. And now it's been, it's been five years. So there's a part of me, of course, that is very grateful to have such a wonderful person in my life. There's another part of me that goes, oh, for the love of God, I think I'm so out of this game. Oh my God, I'm so relieved. <laughs> so I'm happy to um, have the experience that, that I have because I needed to go through enough rejections to know what was going to be the break in my pattern, what was going to be different that was indicated that it was going to work out for me for, uh, well, a change. And so that's that's really it. I wasn't much of a dater, frankly. I'm very much like a hermit, introvert. I like gaming. I like doing stuff that attracts a lot of men, a lot of men who are not the most familiar with hygiene. (laughs) So, yeah, you know what, there's... There was a set of challenges for me, but there is someone for everyone, as I was 
uh, again, very grateful to learn. So that's been out of me. Um, how was, how were things for you? Wow. Uh, I have to ask five years. Are we getting engaged anytime soon? Sure. I've gotten that question a couple of times. So my <laughs> position on that is because a lot of the, a lot of I mean, for her, she's had previous boyfriends that lasted long-term and a lot of my friends have had a lot of long-term relationships. They usually have a girlfriend in high school or college. And so for me, because I've only been a boyfriend for five years out of 33, I choose to let the boyfriend phase last longer, probably artificially so. But yeah, I mean, engagement is 100% on the table. Oh, good. Okay. I approve. Um, yeah, for me, you know, when I was in San Francisco, it was like you couldn't I could decide who your next boyfriend was going to be. Like guys were like lining up. So I moved here when I was 26. It was definitely like a humbling experience. And I dated, you know, guys that were not the best and some that were amazing. And then I, you know, I didn't figure out what I wanted to really do with my life professionally until I was 31. And it just took me, you know, some time to kind of get on my feet financially, um, just to kind of understand like where I'm at, because what I was attracted to five years ago is not what I'm attracted to now. I just keep evolving and changing as a person. I'm in a place now where I feel really good with where I'm at in life and I'm welcoming in a new relationship. So we'll see what happens. There's some people that I've been talking to, nothing serious yet, but just the kind of people I've been attracted to lately are so different that I feel like anyone that I would have ended up with like 10 years ago, I probably would have been divorced from right by now. You Interesting. Know? Yeah. Cause I, I do hear, so I'll tell you a story and, and again, sorry to both you and to my audience as I'm like fixing my camera on the fly. It's very not, uh, normal for me so one of my friends he's got two sisters both of them who are older by by a few years apiece so like three years and another one is about six years older and i i forget if she had married this man or if they were just in that like long-term common law but he after about seven years together he did uh cheat on her so he had decided that for whatever reason he, the relationship wasn't sacred enough to protect in that way and and then my friend said that seven years, that's that's a very challenging year for relationships. It's not the same thing as being together for the first couple of years after that like honeymoon phase. So have you spotted, say, like certain um, milestones that are particular challenges for people? I, I, I get that all of this is subjective, mm -hmm. but like the seven year mark is an indicator of a set amount of challenges that tend to come up around that time, maybe perhaps regardless of who's encountering it. Yeah, I mean, I, I work mostly with single people. So in the first like year of dating and what I see is it's really hard for some people to get past two to three months. Like at the three month mark is a lot of times where our relationships kind of end. Um, I think like in the, well, I was reading a couple of things how psychologists were saying it's really easy to pretend to be someone for about three to six months. And then that's when the mask starts to fade and you see the real person. So a lot of times, you know, you'll think like someone is a certain way. And then after three months, you realize like, oh, like that was all a facade. And, you know, now you're kind of seeing the real of them and then you're not really interested anymore. It's not really what you're expecting. So I do see a lot of that or people that are kind of like giving things a chance and hoping something will develop, but it just never gets to that next level. So that's like the usual marker that I kind of see. And also, you know, I think at the year mark, a lot of times is when it's kind of like, all right, are we getting engaged or are we not? Especially if you're dating in your 30s. In your 20s, you have more time to kind of be just a boyfriend and kind of enjoy that more. But when you start dating in your 30s, um, you know, within a year, you kind of expect like, let's talk about engagement. What's happening? Are we doing this? 
And so I see a lot of couples kind of break up at that year mark when it hasn't really progressed to that next level. So let's let's shift gears, and we want to I want to make sure that I cover the uh, the key elements of your of your platform. So if there is any element to the story that we just want to fill in to complete what got you to the point where you opened up your your service and started taking this on in a professional setting. Yeah, I you know I also was in relationships that were I was like dating the same person with a different face basically, and I found myself you know, dating good guys, but for whatever reason, they were just, I was just not a happy person. Like I wasn't happy in my job. I didn't feel fulfilled in my career. And I remember particularly dating one person that was such a naturally happy, bubbly guy. And that would like piss me off. And I was like, something is like not right inside me that I'm feeling like this. And I realized that, you know, we spend most of our lives, like, you know, our weeks at work sitting around these people around fluorescent lights, doing something, whatever. And I was making at that time, like 1% commission, uh, working in ad sales and our, um, at that time it was an ad tech company. And I was just thinking like, this is not what I saw for my life. I saw so many friends doing really cool, interesting things with their lives and thought, why can't I do that? Like I should be able to do that too. Like, why am I being so basic? I, when he broke up with me, I was kind of shocked, but I was like, I was a bitch to him. Like, wow, how did he put up with me for so long? Like I was just not an internally happy person. I was just, you know, I was missing my family in California, didn't like my job, just not feeling like I want where I wanted to be. And after I got laid off from my from that last job, I was like, the day I got laid off, I was like, I'm starting a business today. If I wait till tomorrow, I'm not going to do it. Because I already had recruiters calling me, offering me twice the money. And I was dating someone at that, at that moment. It was someone else by the time I got laid off. And he was visiting from Chicago. He was in town in New York at that time. And I called him, said, oh my God, I got laid off today. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I think I'm going to start a dating coaching business today. And he laughed at me. I was like, what are you doing? You're not doing that. I'm like, well, I have recruiters calling me, but I re- really feel like I want to try it. And he was like, no, if you're getting like uh, interview opportunities. You should take them. Like, what are you thinking? Like, da, 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 da. And he broke up with me over that because he thought I was someone that was stable and had my you know life together. And that showed him that I was not who I, who he thought I was. And that literally was what I needed to be like, I want to prove this guy wrong. I want to show him that and myself and my parents that I can do this. And listen, it wasn't easy at first. I definitely fumbled a lot. And there, there was one moment four months in, I called my mom because I didn't, I was a little bit short on rent. And I was like, I need you to help me this one time with rent and I'll never ask again. And if I do, I'll go back to advertising. And she said, okay, deal. And I was like, I can't go back to advertising. So I just did everything I could to make it work. And then, you know, luckily I was able to make it work. One thing that I did find it funny because I come from like a creative uh, comedy background, but I've always had this like, um, I've always observed characters who, even if it's not necessarily their entire personality, sometimes you see like a uh, a divergence in what what they who they are and what they're what they're doing. So I had this brief idea where you're like you're on the phone with your then boyfriend going, "I got to be a dating coach," and there was something about like the almost like the aggressive side that came out of it when you're saying that. I mm-hmm. thought that was really funny, so I just like pictured this comedy character of someone just like walks into the into the office, be like, "Oh, you want to date somebody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just broke up with my boyfriend and just like angrily uh, scribbles it. Uh, likewise, like for instance, <laughs> one of my friends has a my girlfriend has a friend who's a massage therapist, but his back is in constant pain. So you just picture somebody <laughs> constantly like, Oh fuck. Oh, Oh my back. Oh, you sound like you could use a massage. Oh yeah. No kidding. Oh yeah. One thing that I was 
really keen on asking today because I, I lived most of my life in Toronto, which is kind of like New York, but wearing those personal flotation devices that they give to kids who are learning to swim. So we're mm-hmm. a very small version of New York City. But Toronto does have a lot of pressure, and a lot of that pressure comes from the financial side. There's, it's cost of living is pretty sub- substantive, uh, so much so that I just took the opportunity to leave, and now I'm in a town that's accessible to Toronto. But you know, whew. so how mm-hmm. much of the pressure of like the cost of living in New York was influencing you at the time, and does it still influence your your decisions even to this day? And then transitionally speaking, how does that even affect the people who are uh, looking to work with you? Yeah, I mean, living in New York City definitely is not cheap, and uh, you know, there's. There's a certain kind of personality that that can handle living here. It's definitely this work hard, play hard kind of want, you know, the best of things, but also can be like down and dirty and a you know, like there's just this like a very duality of New York. But there is a, a level of like excellence that we see here. You know, people come here because they're the best at what they do or they want to be, and so there is this just energy. Like when I moved here, I never would have thought in a thousand years that I could start a business. But being here, being around people that are like, yes, you can do it. You can do this and done. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Like you just feel the energy of people that are making something for themselves and believe in themselves. And it gives you this like sense of like, oh, I can do it too. You know, like something about being here, there's just so many opportunities and so many people to kind of admire and to um, ask for support. So yeah, there's definitely this like level of, you know, energy that you feel here that I don't think you feel anywhere else. And when it comes to working with clients, obviously some people that I work with, they need to have, you know, some disposable income. So, you know, anyone that's like rubbing their last two pennies together, like I'm not going to work with either, you know, that's sure. too much pressure on both ends. Um, so yeah, I see people that can afford it and it's not going to be too, you know, taxing on them. And, you know, you have to have like realistic expectations. Like you're not, you know, it's not a vending machine. I'm going to, you know, press two buttons and your perfect person comes out. Like it's a lot of work that we both have to do together. So the kind of people that I work with, like, yes, they're going to be like financially, you know, stable and, you know, like that go-getter personality. But the other side of that is people that are really financially uh, have done well for themselves tend to be really busy. And that's kind of the other problem in dating that I see in New York is that, you see all these people that are like, yes, I want to date, da, da, da. I'm, you know, I've at this point in my life, but it's impossible to schedule anything with them because they're constantly working or they're in meetings or they're flying for something, they're traveling here, they're there. You know, you can't date unless you have physical time and space and emotional as well. But the physical, like you have to be available to go on dates or you lose momentum. So that's the part like the the double side of the coin, you know, two sides of the coin that I see, it's like, yes, people can afford it and say they want it, but they're not always really actually available. Sure. I think some of that might have to do with, it's easy to visualize money as a resource because whether we have a physical pile of it in front of us or we have our bank accounts, we can, it's, it's easy, it's easy to quantify. I feel like time mm-hmm. is um, arguably a more precious resource, but there are a lot of factors that go into quantifying it, which includes money, but also what are a person's values? Uh, how much does a person need, say, during the week just to relax and have that self-time as well? Which on a schedule looks like, well, you're free here, right? You're not doing anything. It's like, well, actually, I'm doing something kind of important because it's important for me. So time is mm-hmm. subjective and it's, hard, and it's hard to quantify. So that's where I think a lot of that comes from. 
what I just want to follow up on when it comes to New York City, and I know this isn't like the New York City interview, but mm-hmm. I do have a uh, a personal interest in it. When because you mentioned that in San Francisco, the amount of college educated men outweighed uh, New York and probably most other places in the world. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, that's probably because of the, it's the tech sector of mm-hmm. of America and possibly the world. I believe Apple has its uh, headquarters there, and that's one company that comes to my mind. I'm sure there's others if I were to look it mm-hmm. up. So I'm, I, I can see the, the, the correlation there. Um, so my question is, from what you observe, what are are there certain industries that New York is especially known for? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely a financial center right, of right. the world. So there are a lot of finance jobs. And that is ten, that, you know, historically, it's tend to be more uh, masculine, uh, male dominated, but there are a lot more women entering the finance workforce. Um, and then on the flip side of that, there's fashion, right? A lot of women work in fashion. Um, so we do have a lot of women coming here for that advertising. That's usually male or female, but PR kind of tends to be more female. Um, there are a lot of big industries. I mean, there's going to be big law. It's going to be, you know, anywhere tax, all that kind of stuff is, is all going to be here. And that can be, you know, maybe more male than female, slightly more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Any city you go to, there's always going to be, you know, like the blue collar workers, which tend to be male, right? So mm-hmm. whenever we have such a big city, you have the other side of it, the people that like work on the buildings and streets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And those are all male dominated jobs. So even though there are like other industries like, you know, fashion and all that, there's still more that's going to draw men here, I think, than, mm-hmm. than women. But I don't know. They're not all college educated. That's the problem. There's not the population's 50 50. It's just the level of like, did you go to college or not? What kind of work are you in? There's a few things from your platform that stuck out to me that I want to make sure that we talk about. So there's, I got two here. Um, your first is that your platform incentivizes people getting away from the internet and back to reality. So what have you observed to be the, I, I don't know if they're serious or not serious, but what have been the implications that you've, that have stemmed from people trying to date online? And sorry, let me just, I just want to add a little bit more to this because from, from my point of view and a lot of like my friends that I had talked to closer to like back when I was single, it was like, well, Tinder, well, people aren't really looking for anything serious on Tinder. They're just kind of playing law of averages and seeing what they can get. And so I, I guess there was limits to like, even someone who maybe has the resources and is ready to commit to long-term probably just doesn't go on Tinder anyways, probably looked for more uh, specific dating websites like match.com or something, something more aligned to that. So that's just where, where I'm coming from. Like what I've seen dating apps do is that they actually, for the most part, weren't for dating. They were for more specific encounters that we all know what I'm talking about. I don't need to get to ping by YouTube mm-hmm. for it. With online dating, there are definitely great parts and there's really scary parts. You know, I have a really good girlfriend. She met her husband on Tinder maybe four years ago. So yeah, it's definitely possible. I think with the apps you can find you can find literally anything and everything there. So you could find someone that's marriage minded or you could find someone that's more casually minded. Um, something for very, very specific. It's 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 everything that's on there. Um, you know, I have I have plenty of friends that got married from dating apps. So that's great. But the problem is that it has really affected overall the mental health of daters. You know, a lot of people are feeling very overwhelmed. Um, they're feeling rejected. They're feeling like, you know, 
something is just wrong with them. Why are they not getting matches? Why are people disappearing, ghosting, all that kind of stuff? There's a lot of negative mental health stuff that comes along with dating apps. You know, I had a friend just yesterday message me that he got totally catfished. Well, it was, it was the right person that showed up, but just heavily edited photos or old photos. And it was not a good experience. And he's like, I'm deleting all the apps. I hate it. He's like, well, listen, if you're not having a good experience with anything, anything, it's not just dating apps. It could be, you know, you don't like going to the gym and having a good experience. Don't go, you don't do stuff that's make, giving you a bad experience, whether it's hurting you mentally or even physically or emotionally. You shouldn't be doing that. You don't need it. There's plenty of ways to meet people in real life, especially now post-COVID. There's so many groups popping up that are, you know, activity-based or whatever your interests are. You can find a group that, you know, is in, within that interest level. Um, and the other part is that there are some bad people on dating apps. Like I personally got scammed from someone that I met on a dating app and he's done it to lots of different women. I hear lots of women that have had really scary experiences. So you have to be careful of who you're meeting online because you don't know who they are. You're not, they're not verified. Um, a girl that I met recently, there was a guy that she met on Hinge and he ended up being a stalker. He stalked her and she has like several training orders out against him and he keeps getting back on Hinge, you know, because there's no way for them to really, you know, identify who he is if he's using different phone numbers or whatever it could be. So meeting someone off the internet was really scary when we were like kids and like the AOL, you know, dial up stuff like that was, so don't meet people from online, but we're doing it all the time now. So you still have to, you know, make sure you're being safe and smart about it. Um, that's something I feel really passionate about. I want to create more content around how, you know, to kind of stay safe with meeting people online if you choose to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think there's apps, dating apps or sites that are geared more towards like people that are more serious. Um, but anywhere you go, there's, you're going to find people that are going to lie to you, <laughs> tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> and it's not, you can meet that, that person happened, you know, we've met at the library, you know, you never know. I have to point out the irony of a, a crazy stalker on an app called Hinge in my mind is like, well, maybe you're the more unhinged than Hinge, but that's just where my mind went with that. But right. a more uh, salient observation coming from someone who kind of lives and breathes the internet, it's the reason why I'm able to make my, make my bacon is you have our more enmeshed reality that I would say was initiated by social media where now people are, are taking their, their real lived experience online. Yes, there's exaggeration. There's the, oh yeah, my life is looks fun, but it's actually not as fun, but it's still an extension of, of reality versus, and I don't know, I don't have a name for this prior to, so I gotta have to invent one on the spot here, which is like, on web is the idea of being able to disassociate from our persons and create an avatar online that we can use to cultivate what part of our personalities we want to show more of and what part of our personalities that we want to show a little less of, hence the masking. And I think this is where, say, like people getting married on World of Warcraft, it allows people to show their best qualities in an environment that is safe for everybody and then you go from that on web personality to that online personality, and then you eventually learn who the real person is. And assuming that those milestones are crossed amicably, you end up with a promising relationship. So I think a lot of the issue is there is that there's this blur now of like, you know, who, who is this person really? Is this person portraying the real deal or is it an avatar or is being used for uh, ill-gotten means? And it's a very confusing thing and it's messy and it's scary and it's dangerous. Um, and so that's why like, I, for one have, 
I, and I maintain this for a long time is the, the in-person events as, as well. However, I go, I'll go a little bit further and say like the, I did better because I was in an, an environment where the purpose wasn't there to date or to network. So I'm just, when, when we work in background mm-hmm. of film and television, we spend a lot of time just sitting at tables waiting to be used on site. We're not going to stand around all day. And so for that reason, I was able to, you know, talk with Jen, who was there on set. And over the course of the day, we got to know each other just enough that I was confident enough to ask her out at the end of the day. I what I'm getting at here, and this is a question that I'm getting to here, is <laughs> I lean more into the organic events where like, oh, I just want to go because I want to learn archery or I just want to go to paint and find people who are interested in that and then see if a prospect comes versus an intentional dating event where someone actually goes in specifically looking for it. So I'm way too much of an overthinker. I don't think I would survive in that environment, but I would love to hear about like that intentional side of the events. How, how are they run? How do they find that balance between like, yeah, we have goals, but we also want to have a good time too. That good time I think is how people can open up and remove some of those inhibitions without necessarily needing to resort to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think events that are more like, hey, I have a dog, you have a dog, we all live in the East Village, it's all me to do a dog meetup and da da da. And then like, oh, if there's someone there that's interesting, great. But if not, you know, you're meeting like minded people. I think that's a way more successful dating environment event than, hey, it's a singles event, you know, because I feel like that could that could draw in people that are there for good intentions or not, or people that would maybe have gone, they feel a little embarrassed to be seen at a dating event, you know. So I do think it's better, like if you, I've always said this, if you have like really specific things you're interested in, you want to meet someone who thinks those are cool and that you can share it with. Like if you have nothing in common with your partner and they have have completely separate lives and, you know, you guys never kind of cross paths in your different hobbies, that's going to be a weird kind of life together. You don't have everything the same. Like you can enjoy skiing and she'd rather be, you know, sitting in the hot tub waiting for you. That's great. Um, That's how I am. I will not ski to save my life, but I'll wait in the hot tub. Um, but I'm someone that really loves bike riding and hiking and being outdoors and trying anything that's like outdoorsy or active. And so I want to be with someone that's going to push me and challenge me like, all right, you said you can handle a six mile hike. Let's do it. Like, I want to be with someone like that. So for me, like, I would love to join a group that like was a hiking group or a running group or whatever, um, because I like the activity, but also like I'll meet like-minded people. And if, even if someone at the event isn't necessarily for me, they could have a brother or a sister or you know, whatever, um, someone for me to meet. And I've always said, as you ex- expand your social network, you're going naturally, you know, increase your chances of meeting a partner. Um, you know, even if like the people that don't feel comfortable going to events and are kind of more like in, you know, working in like the metaverse or whatever, <laughs> that's not obviously not my thing. I don't know much about it, but there's people that like, they like to like, live in the games. That's where they truly live. And, you know, that's sad. They should have more like in-person meetups with people that, yes, they like gaming and they're into that kind of stuff, but it doesn't have to only live in this kind of online world, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I should, one of the other podcasts that uh, we're on a hiatus for a little while because the Web3 space is not known for consistent resource acquisition. But one of the things that we've talked about on that program is the metaverse and when is it going to make that transition out of gaming and into the more day-to-day lived experience? And I'll I'll make this a very brief point just for your and for the audience's takeaway is that 
gaming is always going to be that front area because it gives people a chance to just play around and have fun. But what you're, what we're going to find is it's going to become more important in the workplace once we continue this transition away from that long-term 40-year career position and more into these like bite-sized short-term contract work that has been an increasing element of the workforce. And because it's going to require more elasticity, being able to actually enter the virtual environment and be able to process information in new ways using like 3D displays is going to help people go from like one project to the next project to the next project. So that's that's been my major takeaway of the metaverse, but I don't want to start off on the on the web three thing. I just wanted to give that little tidbit for everybody. This is okay. This is going to be the more this is a more serious question than the other ones, mm-hmm. but it's one that was important for me to ask um, because you do talk about on your platform overcoming previous grief and trauma um, in order to help finding an ideal partner. Now there's a lot to unpack there and we've only got 20 minutes left on the clock. So what I wanted to ask specifically about is whether or not the trauma is exclusively from past relationships, whether they were intimate or didn't quite get there, or is that trauma also potentially from other areas like familial trauma or mm-hmm. institutional trauma from school and workplace. And that is working its way in. So do you, are you kind of assisting people in both areas? Are you finding it's one more than the other or are you, because you're a relationship expert, it's specifically like oh, I'm helping you with the relationship trauma. The stuff that you encountered on the workforce isn't really my jam. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a licensed therapist, so I'm not doing like therapy with people, but def- there's definitely people that have like family trauma and, um, I'm sure like workplace or like at past situations of like abuse or things like that that are more serious. They definitely need to like work through with a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what I do with clients is more of really looking at your past relationships or the people you've been attracted to and looking at patterns because we all have dating patterns. Like I was literally dating the exact same person, same kind of personality. And it was just, you know, not working for me. Um, so really just kind of like journaling about like, who am I attracting and why am I attracting this person? I really believe in like similar energy attracts similar energy. So if you're someone that is emotionally unavailable, whether you realize it or not, you're going to be attracting emotionally unavailable people. Um, you know, if you're someone that has like a lot of anxiety and you're, you know, just always like an anxious person, then you might be attracting an avoidant person because that kind of is a yin yang to that in a weird way. So there's a, you know, there's just a lot of like self-reflection that needs to happen in dating. If you're just have not been successful, like some people have had really healthy, successful relationships and for whatever reason didn't turn into marriage and that's totally fine. But most of us have some kind of like toxicity in our past that, you know, especially living in a big city where there's, you know, access to everything. There's a lot of drinking and going out, you know, whatever it could be. Um, we have access to a lot of things and, you know, it can, some of them are kind of like dark. So it's really good just to kind of see, just to kind of see if there's a pattern, depending on what we're working with. Um, it's just like, how do we have healthier choices and healthier hobbies? You know, like I've had clients that are just like, oh, like the world is, you know, always against me. I'm such a victim. I'm such a victim. I'm like, okay, well, like, like why, why, why are we feeling this way? You know, it's like, well, you know, this, I lost my job and then this happened and that happened. And like, you know, those are all like, those are shitty things. I'm sorry that happened to you. But if you look at the grand scheme of the world, you're going to be okay. Like these things are all solvable. Like I really encourage clients to like add volunteer work into their routine just to kind of give you some perspective. Like I, I always feel 
like so much just release of like emotion after I finish any kind of volunteer work. Like I did a 10 day trip in Honduras and I got back and I had, this was like five, six years ago. I had a roommate at the time and she was, um, oh, thank God you're back. I want to tell you about this guy I hooked up with and he didn't call me the next day. He's such an asshole. Like, oh, oh. So I sent him an angry text and, and I was like, oh my gosh. I was, and she was like, my life sucks. And I was like, really? I was like, your life sucks. She's like, yes, my life sucks. I'm like, do you know where I just got back from? And she's like, well, I was like, I was with people who have never seen a running toilet, who have never had electricity, who girls don't have education past the fifth grade, that get pregnant at 11, 12. Like their life is tough. And you know what? They didn't complain once. They were happy because they had community. They had each other. And, you know, like I didn't complain about anything. And you're here telling me life sucks because you chose to do something that, you know, you probably knew you shouldn't have and you didn't get the result you wanted. And she was like, wow, people really still live like that. I'm like, you have no perspective. So I think it's important to you know, kind of look at like, all right, what are we dealing with here? What can we add in that's going to add some positivity? You know, people that are feeling down about themselves, like, well, are you going to the gym? Are you eating healthy? Like, how are you showing up for yourself? Are you adding in things that's going to uh, make your life better rather than like alcohol, things like that, that are just kind of like a, a Band-Aid that actually make things worse <laughs> in the long run? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that we all have to work on. Like there's not a single person that isn't trying to better themselves. And if there aren't like there should, you know, you should be at something that you should look at. And well, just to add to the, uh, perspectives side of it. So I wasn't, uh, I'm not much of a traveler, so I didn't have the ability to go visit a third world country. And the reason why I'm, I'm not trying to like be like, Oh, well, good for you and bad for me. But it's more just like, well, there's, there's so much sensory input that I can only imagine that you've experienced in a different part of the world, different air, different, different people, different, different foods. Uh, but just to add something to that. So I don't, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think volunteering is great, but I think if people are reluctant to, Oh, now I have to sign up for something that's going to take anywhere between three to six hours of my week. Sometimes it's just a matter of just being a good Samaritan and observing how the world around you might need help. So from my point of view, but back when I was in my apartment, a neighbor down the hallway um, was on uh, an oxygen machine because she had Lyme's disease, which is a very rare disease. And she knows more about it than anybody because no one else is bothering to do the research. And there were times where I would, she would text me because she needed something. And some, sometimes those things, if they weren't addressed, it could cost her her well-being. Um, it's like changing oxygen tanks. And yeah, there were, there were moments where like her life was in my hands. Brief, because I'm not a paramedic, but they were there. Mm-hmm. And, and every time she would do that, I would walk back to my apartment grateful for my legs grateful for the key I can use to get into it, grateful for the ability to make my own food and have all my autonomy. And and then and that was just some of us just like, well, I'm just living my life, but this person clearly needs help, so I guess I'll just do that. And one of the paramedics who did come to visit, they had commended me for it because they said, you know, not a lot of people do this kind of thing anymore. I'm like, really? Huh. I, I thought this is just what people typically do. So um, mm-hmm. it, opportunities to like actually just help your world around you, I think can have a profound impact because we don't know what other people are going through. And when you see someone who clearly has a physical um, disability, that's just the surface for the mental anguish, the grief that this person is going through too. So, you know, reach out, see who you might be able to help on that, on that level. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It's, it's like little things that just make you feel grateful exactly for being, you know, able-bodied 
of sound mind, you know, a lot of people are struggling and just little things like even helping someone with directions, or if you see an elderly person crossing a street and you see like the lights like flashing, like, oh my God, they're gonna hit by, <laughs> you know, making sure they're okay and asking them like, do you need help? Just little things that you can do really do so it does honestly more for you than them in some ways because it does mm -hmm. give you that sense of gratitude and just feeling good about yourself you know like i mean especially in new york we walk around we see so many you know people that are homeless or without you know asking for food or money because they don't have anything and we just walk right by we don't even look anymore because it's just so prevalent um and you know i had an ex-boyfriend he you know i would ever forget this I, that's when i kind of fell in love with him he saw it was like i think it was winter time and he saw someone that um you know looked like they were kind of struggling on the street and he went and like bought them like a hot coffee and i was like that's nice you know mm -hmm. it's like cost you know a couple of dollars and he's just like here like we warm up like i just thought that was so sweet and i was like wow like that's that got me <laughs> that's wonderful and if i had to guess he probably didn't realize the effect he had on you just from that simple act if that, if that was all a charade and then i was like wow he did a good job no, no but he he really just did it from the kindness of his heart you know he's someone that's that sees that some someone's in need um something little like that i think is really sweet mm -hmm. so as i as we kind of get towards the final act of this um because i know for the audience's sake sometimes people have to run when we hit the mark so <laughs> that's why i'm i'm kind of on that gear right now but i cannot get through this episode without talking to you about this long-standing theory that I've had. So we have our families, uh, we have a mother, father, perhaps brothers, sisters. And my argument and my position is that because those imprints are a so consistent and also so impactful because of the early part of our lived experience that it's, it occurs with, it, it can go on for the whole, our entire lives, but it certainly happens at the beginning of it. It's hard not to see uh, that familiarity with perhaps our friends, to see them as brothers, see them as cousins, but also with our partners. My, speaking anecdotally, but my dad, he said, you know, your, your, your girlfriend reminds me of, uh, uh, of your mother. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's half Asian. I didn't, had no <laughs> intention for this whatsoever. But you know, my dad saw my, his wife, my mom, in my current partner. And so I, I think it does happen. I, I have another friend, again, anecdotally, but my friend was like, yeah, her boyfriend who's now husband, same stature as her dad, uh, long hair, kind of like that, that Viking persona. So <laughs> I, I think it happens, but I would love to hear if you've had any tangible experience with like our familial imprint having a effect on who we're attracted to. Yeah, I think like there's been a lot of psychologists that have spoken to you know, the relationship that you had, so like, you know, I'm a woman with my father, I'll tend to replicate that in relationships. So if that was someone that was abandoned, that abandoned me or whatnot, I'll find avoidant partners. Um, luckily, my dad did not abandon us. He's always been a very independent, hardworking, entrepreneurial guy, but he's going to do what he's going to do. And you can't tell him what to do. And he's really cool and collected. But if you piss him off, he gets mad. And literally all of my ex-boyfriends are exactly like that. Same kind of <laughs> temperaments. Um, you know, he's really athletic and very always been working out. I love Kaiser. So yeah, it's true. I think like what we saw, you know, as children, like when you saw like, you know, whatever you're attracted to, if you're a guy, you're attracted to a woman, you see your mom, you know, that's kind of we have the standard of like, oh, that's what, you know, what a wife looks like. That's what a woman looks like. So of course that's going to be something that you're probably naturally, you know, like subconsciously be attracted to. I always thought that couples tend to kind of look alike. There's so many times I see I'm like, oh my God, that's like brother and sister. Well, it's true. You know, I do think that in matchmaking, 
um, the number one rule is like, how do you match people? It's like, well, it's mirroring. You know, if you want to be with someone that's similar enough to you, where you can enjoy doing the same things, um, you know, like if you're someone super active, you're not going to date someone who's never, you know, gotten off the couch. So it's, you're going to want someone similar to you. And if you find yourself attractive, you're going to kind of find someone who looks a little bit like you attractive too, right? So that, that does tend to happen. And I think as you spend time together, you kind of morph into each other more and more. I don't even think they realize it, but then people on the outside kind of be like, oh, that's kind of funny. They're both wearing flannel shirts and mm-hmm. Levi's. And, you know, that just kind of tends to happen. I'm, I'm glad I got that answer because there's a part of me that feels like it it speaks to a part of our personality that might come from an unhealthy place rather than a healthy place. So it is important to me to hear that, Oh no, this is is totally natural. This is something that comes up with people. Um, as I continue to develop this theory from my own point of view. So Mm -hmm. the, the last questions that I got uh, prepped for actually full disclosure, I have like 12 other questions here prepped, but my theory is my philosophy is you always run to run out of time. You never want to run out of questions, but Mm -hmm. what I would like to hear about is two sides of this. So, what were some of the challenges and some of the hurdles you had to overcome as you were building your platform? And then what are some of the challenges that you see yourself facing going forward? And that could be even as technical as, oh, I wish I was ranking higher on Google or I wish my content on YouTube hit more or whatever that happens to be for you. Yeah, I think in the beginning, the biggest challenges that I was coming across was just kind of figuring out what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> what is it? What, am I, what service am I providing? I had to pivot, you know, once or twice, you know, when I was doing just dating coaching, I didn't really have the program in place that I would like to, if I, if I'd redone it now, knowing what I know now, it would have looked a lot different. That's the thing. Like we live and learn as, you know, I'm getting, you know, more experience being a service provider, you know, the people are getting buying to a service. They are paying more as my experience is raised too. So it's all knowing that, Yes, I'm learning. It's a constant learning process. But as I'm learning, I'm providing more value and not being scared to charge more. As you uh, start in the beginning, you're scared, like, am I worth this much money? Is I'm going to pay this? Like, you feel like imposter syndrome, you know? And I definitely felt that in the beginning. And now I'm like, no, like, this is what it costs. And you're, you're paying for the last six years that I've done work on this. Um, and the 11 years I've been in New York building my business, there's a lot of things that happen that you don't get to see. Or me going to all these events and recruiting for you, like, that all takes time and money. And I feel very strong about, like, I am worth what I'm worth. Um, but challenges for the future, I think, really is how to just kind of expand on what I'm doing now and you know, I've always wanted to do more content. I think that's kind of where I've always been really interested in, but it's like, okay, what's that going to look like? What platform am I going to use? Um, you know, technology keeps changing, you know, like, I'm sorry, but TikTok is still hard for me. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's just always a constantly um, growing and learning how to use these kind of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, also figuring out like, do I have people that are going to come in and help me? What does that look like? Because I've always been kind of a solo entrepreneur, but uh, recently I've been bringing kind of more people in to help and just to see how that looks like and what makes sense for me and for them. So yeah, there's challenges every day. Every day it's different. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. As far, as far as TikTok goes, I, I personally use TikTok, but I just make my comedy videos on it. I, it, for me, it's a, been a creative outlet, but I studied the platform uh, pretty heavily just because I want to understand how it works. And, and the key that makes TikTok and its competitors, YouTube shorts, um, Instagram reels, Facebook, wherever the hell they call it, is that you only need to make a minute's worth of content at the most. 
but you can inject it with so much quality that it becomes a premium product at a with a short amount of time versus if you tried to put the same amount of quality into a 10 minute YouTube video, it's going to take you 10 times as much resources, 10 times as much time. And it's going to be 10 times as challenging to retain people all the way through. So it, mm-hmm. even if maybe TikTok isn't going to be the dominant one forever in the same way Netflix wasn't dominant forever, um, the short medium is, is definitely worth studying. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's everything that I've got from my point of view. So with the remaining couple of minutes, if there was anything else that was either like like a point you wanted to make or anything lingering or any reactions to any of the some sensible but some bizarre things that I've said over the course of this episode, feel free to uh, share that with the audience and then let the audience know whereabouts they could find you online. You know, I always challenge people to make more connections in real life. And so I just challenge people like this week, find a way to say hello to a stranger and kind of start a new connection or find a group that you're interested in joining and get that social network expanded. And, you know, hope you'll meet someone in real life. Um, and then to find me, I'm on Instagram at Anna Morgenstern. My website is AnnaMorgenstern.com. And yeah, find me there. I have some I have some content already on there, but more will be coming. <laughs> Awesome. Actually, I just want to say one quick thing too that did that has worked out for me is that I've had a lot of friends ask me like, "How do you talk to girls?" I'm like, "The secret to talking to girls is you talk to everybody. Just be social, right? Just mm-hmm. don't be the guy who only talks to the person you're attracted to because a you're going to be out of practice and b it looks like you're just go like making a beeline for a target. You don't want to treat people like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're social and you take an interest in everybody, you build up your skills and it actually looks awkward for you not to talk to that person because why are you singling that person out now? So that's something mm-hmm. that I found works personally for me. And even if it doesn't necessarily net you a date, it is something that I think just builds that social confidence that people need to put themselves out there. Totally. And you know, it's okay to get a little rejected here and there. You're not going to, you know, 100% of times, you're not going to, you know, get make the shot. But I think if you go into the goal of like, I just have gratitude, be in this moment and say hi to someone and just create a little light for someone in their day and just say hi. That's all. That's your only intention. Your intention is like, you're my prey. I'm hunting you. That's not going to yeah. work. <laughs> you're just bringing a little light to someone's day. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Well, that's all we've got for you today. Um, Hopefully it won't be the last time that we get to uh, share in some of the subject, because like I said, I don't get much chance to talk about it, but I find it personally fascinating, especially because I get to be an outside observer. Um, But with that, I am happy to wrap this episode up of the Impactful Coaching Podcast. You can always email joseph at impactfulcoachingpodcast.com. It is spelled the way you think. And as always, regardless of what endeavor you are in the coaching space, whether you want to help people with their eating habits, their public speaking, or their relationships, as we're talking about today, our goal is to make sure that you are impactful while you're at it.